Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And I am absolutely delighted to have on today's show Mark Lewin, CEO of Strategic Liquidity Services of GV Financial, and one of his senior financial advisors, Brian Frey. It is absolutely wonderful to have you on the show with us this morning. Thank you. We're delighted to be here. Thank yeah. you very much. So, Mark, you know that I start the show by asking my CEO guests, what are trends in your industry or area of expertise that you think are really important for other CEOs to know about? So I'm going to toss that over to you. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Generally speaking, in the wealth management arena and really all professional services around um, around retirement, et cetera, there's this um, idea that we are getting ready to experience the greatest wealth transfer in the history of mankind um, from one generation to the next. And a significant element of that is the idea that people who own businesses are going to have to figure out how they're going to transform their business into cash so that they can live comfortably the rest of their lives. And one of the challenges with that is that most people feel like that's going to be a relatively, relatively straightforward uh, scenario. They're going to figure out a way to sell their business, and they're going to live happily ever after. The problem with it's that... like they can sell their business on eBay. Absolutely. Just sell put it on eBay, <laughs> and somebody's going to come, and you know, maybe we'll, they'll get that $10 million or $20 million, right? That's right, or put up a sign in the window, Yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> and so it doesn't work out that way for a lot of folks. Uh, in fact, set, according to Price Waterhouse... Uh, studies, which are done routinely, <clears throat> 75% of people who actually sell their business are not happy with the way it went. And actually only 5% are happy with the net proceeds. So that very statistic and my personal experience led me to create um, this uh, company called Strategic Liquidity Services, where we help people think about all the alternatives to the traditional sale, but leave them on the path to creating the kind of liquidity they want that will allow them to live happily ever after and do it in a way that meets their most cherished life goals at the same time. Mm. Tell us a little bit about your personal experience with, with that. Do you have any any specific stories that you would love to share with us? Yes. Actually, um, I experienced these challenges in a very personal way. Um, my dad, who is 93, is a, was a very successful business owner. Uh, he was in the importation and distribution of woodworking machinery business. So that chair you're sitting in was uh, most likely made by a machine that my dad imported and sold. And my dad um, had two significant business cycles during his career. When I say business cycles, meaning he was very successful, but because of external reasons of which he had no control, um, the business went from a very significant valuation down to a very low valuation. Now, was he aware of these things when they were happening? Did he have like valuations done or was it more intuitive? Like he was like, oh, the market's bad and I'm not making as much money. Well, he was making a lot of money and he had uh, investment bankers and lawyers telling him your business is worth a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And so he thought to himself, well, great, it's worth a ton of money and it'll be worth two times tons of money if I just, <laughs> if I just keep working. Um, and what happened was, is that um, things that were um, not in his line of sight came and uh, knocked him off his perch. Um, mm. So the economy, <clears throat> which no one knew was going to tank, uh, this was in the late 80s, mm. that was the first time, 
um, basically created a, um, a tsunami. So it, um, well, to take that metaphor a little bit <clears throat> further, knocked him off the surfboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, things terrible, things that were happening to him all around were just very challenging. Um, he came home and said, kids, you guys are out of private school. You guys are, the whole world is going to change. And so when I say that I experienced that personally, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so it created this whole um, feeling in me that that could happen to anybody, things out of your control could, um, could uh, affect your business and affect your future. So at a very personal level, that's why I'm here today talking about how I want to help business owners think about all the issues around liquidity and help them prepare for bad things so that they can enjoy the good things in life one day. Yeah. And so as, you, as we look at deconstructing the myth, um, you said that 75% are not happy with the way that it went. Mm-hmm. And that 5% are not happy with the net proceeds. Right. When you say 75% are not happy with the way that it went, what does that actually mean? That they weren't happy with the process of selling their business? They weren't happy with the, the, how it was sold or the, the construct in which it was sold? Help us understand what that, what that 75% actually means. Right. So um, lots of people wake up uh, after they've sold their business and um, feel like, it was after a, uh, a New Year's Eve party where, boy, it was a lot of fun, but I ate too much and I drank too much and I have a stomach ache and what's really going on here? And what the regret they feel is often, number one, they think, gosh, before I was getting a lot of money out of my business and I was living a nice life and now um, I just have this cash, but gosh, will it be enough? Uh, and number two, Wow, on April 15th, I've got to pay a huge tax. Wow, I didn't really um, realize the impact that would make on me. Uh, Next, and very importantly, gosh, I had this tremendous life where my valued employees and my customers and my clients and my suppliers and all those people that made my life so fulfilling, they're all gone. Um, And what am I doing? Uh, Gee, um, I'm going to play golf, but how much golf can I play? And all my friends are still working and I didn't really realize how important all those relationships were in my life. Um, I don't have an income stream. I, gosh, I, what if I can't do this again? Did I make a mistake? Those types of things. Just basically, um, in my experience, um, have people really worried about, um, gee, did I do the right thing? Mm. In fact, um, I gave a talk in Arizona uh, a couple of months ago. And this fellow raised his hand and he said, you know, that guy, uh, meaning me, is exactly right. He goes, after I sold my business, um, I really couldn't think of anything to do except um, go to movies, the 11 o'clock a.m. showing uh, for like (laughs) (laughs) for weeks. My wife and I did that and we were the only people in the theater. So there was a real void in his life. Um, And so there's a variety of reasons, but a lot of people experience a lot of regret after the transaction. Did I do the right thing? Even if they have some money. All right. And so now 5% are uh, happy with the net proceeds. Now, everybody wants more money. So that's kind of not surprising. Um, but help us deconstruct why, why that's a problem. Because my expectation would be that most people would want more money, right? Oh, totally. The question is, did they get enough money to live the life they want to live? And lots of times it doesn't work that way. You start out the negotiation and you think your business is worth X. It turns out after all the negotiation, due diligence, and through a bruising M&A process, and when uh, the negotiations um, really get hot, you can sort of smell the goal line, right? You can smell the money. And then 
um, you get beaten down on the price and then people find out all these things about your business, which, uh, or you find out things about your business that basically make the price lower than you expected. And then um, the transaction happens. And candidly, everybody wants the transaction to happen. Um, you get, everybody gets emotionally involved in winning. And um, after the deal is done, people experience these types of regrets that I'm talking about. Mm. And to just go a little bit further into, the, into that, couldn't that just be a function of the fact that uh, the business owner found out through the sales process that their baby was ugly? Like nobody thinks, everybody has an inflated sense of how much they think their business is worth. Um, and, you know, maybe they just had their expectations corrected by the reality of the market. 100%. Um, that's right. It's all about managing expectations and a good uh, M&A professional will, um, will manage your expectations. And sometimes... You don't really know what you got until you get in the process. And so everybody's expectations are, um, <clears throat> are diminished. Mm. So let's talk a little bit. So I think that we fleshed out the problem. Um, mm -hmm. what, what does the solution look like to the extent that there are, are solutions? Well, there's absolutely solutions. <clears throat> so we've created a um, process that we call the seven paths to liquidity. One path is what we've been talking about where you sell your business and you hire a team and go through the process and hopefully it works. There's actually multiple paths to liquidity. And so um, some involve some pretty proactive tax opportunities that you can take care of, that you can take advantage of, excuse me. Um, and others involve very specific paths that involve um, some creative ways to take advantage of tax laws, creative ways of... Um, uh, taking advantage of certain retirement plans that might be out there. And there can be very dramatic um, in terms of an alternative path to liquidity to creating the types of um, opportunities we're talking about that would allow you to, to live the life you want to live. Mm. And when you say dramatic, what, what is the, the drama? Like, what's the difference? All right. So um, I give talks around the country on the seven paths to liquidity. And what I say um, in my introductions is... Um, Look, guys, uh, I'm going to give you all these velvet tomatoes. Um, and when I say something that you think are is too good to be true, I want you to throw the velvet tomato at me. Um, and so um, a lot of these past liquidity, relatively um, unknown, um, involves some stuff that, wow, I had no idea that you could do something like that. And so I enjoy getting pelted with velvet tomatoes when I talk about these seven paths. Mm. All right, so let's go ahead and punch them out. What are the, what okay. are the seven? Just list them for me. Okay. Um, well, um, the first is the traditional auction, we call it, when you're selling your business and you hire the team and you go and auction your, um, your company to the highest bidder. Okay. And so um, that typically involves either a private equity group buying your business, which is basically an investor group, who buys your um, business, adds it to their portfolio, and tries to sell it, say, five to seven years later. Um, and otherwise, it's a strategic buyer, someone who wants to bolt on your business to theirs. And right. there's some strategic reason that they want to buy your business. All so right. that's the traditional path. Number two. Uh, number two, okay. Um, an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. And this is basically where you're selling your business to the employees, your employees. And the conventional <laughs> wisdom is, uh, love to do that, but my employees have no money. Um, <laughs> right, Maybe not paying them enough. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> right. You've, you've uncovered a real problem with that strategy, Sweeney. <laughs> Gee. Um, typically with an ESOP, um, the company borrows money and the company then buys your stock. And there are some tremendous tax advantages with that strategy that allows it to work beautifully. And right. so it's a, it's a, for a lot of people, it's a great way to allow employees to build wealth while creating wealth for yourself. All right. Three? Three um, is a catch-all category for what we call um, the idea and opportunity conversation. And this is largely a tax-driven conversation where we inventory what is now 106 different proactive ideas in the tax realm to recapture money from the government in perfectly appropriate and legal ways. Um, it's just most CPAs and ta other tax professionals uh, don't really focus on this path to liquidity because it can be incremental. Let me show you a way that you can save $20,000 this year in income taxes. Um, or it can be significant where it could be several hundred thousand millions of dollars that you can save in taxes by uh, thinking globally at the intersection between corporate and personal, meaning the corporate tax system and the personal tax system. Okay. I think we're up to four now. Okay. Um, uh, the next is a um, gradual accumulation of wealth through something called uh, a captive insurance company. And a captive insurance company involves a scenario where you have risk as a business owner, and those risks are not being covered typically by... Um, conventional insurance policy. So you create your own insurance company. And this is a state-chartered insurance company that is compliant with all insurance uh, regulations. And basically, over time, you pay premiums to your insurance company. And if uh, you are fortunate enough to not have any claims, like any other insurance company, the amount of money that you don't pay out in claims accumulates in the cash reserves. And over time, it could be that there are um, several million dollars in your captive insurance company. And then um, if you don't need the insurance coverage at some point, some point, then the shareholders can benefit from the cash reserves accumulated in that insurance company. All right. Five? Um, yes. Recapitalization, which is actually a form of M&A, but um, with a recapitalization, you're doing what we call uh, selling your business, or one form of it is selling your business to the bank. So I go to a bank, um, and if I'm pretty creditworthy, I can ask the bank to loan my company a lot of money so that my company can then <clears throat> buy my shares. And right. so that uh, is one way, and typically, again, you have to be a, have a pretty strong balance sheet for that to happen. All right, six? Um, another part B, I guess, of the recapitalization program is that you can sell a part of your business to somebody. So let's say that... Um, that a company comes along, might be one of your competitors, let's say, and says, hey, let's smoke the peace pipe, uh, and uh, I'd like to buy 51% of your company. You say, thank you very much, um, and now you're partners with somebody, but you've got cash, you're financially independent, but you still get to enjoy the relationships, you still get to uh, do what you love doing, you get to build a business with your partner, but if it doesn't work out, you've got your money, you're financially independent, and life's good. All right, seven. And seven is actually a family of ideas involving charitable planning. There are a variety of ways that using the tax code and combining with the human impulse to uh, do 
good while doing well um, and also by uh, making a profit, giving it away, or as I like to say, giving away your taxes to charity. There's a variety of ways that a business owner can combine all those concepts to become financially independent. Great, 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 great. So here's a question for you. So let's revisit the situation with your father, right? So you mm-hmm. said that he may have missed the missed the cycle. Um, yes. When he was uh, had the opportunity, which ones of which one of these would you have recommended for him? That is a great question. So um, my father used to come home all the time, and he'd say, you know, um, I live. Uh, kind of like Fiddler on the Roof every day, uh, to borrow a um, Hollywood analogy, Fiddler on the Roof uh, <clears throat> was always off balance, standing on the roof, uh, fiddling, and he could fall off at any time. And what my dad meant by that is that he would sell these huge machines that at any time somebody could get injured. They could be pushing a piece of wood, meaning a worker should push this piece of wood through um, his machines and maybe cut off one of their fingers or something mm. like that. And so he'd have all this liability that he worried about. I mean, he had hundreds of machines in circulation. Anytime someone could um, injure themselves and he'd be sued. So he would have been a, a perfect candidate for a captive insurance company. He paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to a um, company to insure him. What if he created his own insurance company? And he had those same hundreds of thousands of dollars go into an insurance company that he owned to cover all his risks. And did he ever get sued? Um, Once in 30 years. Um, So, gosh, if he'd accumulated all those premiums and was uh, made to pay out only one of the claims, it could have been millions of dollars and he could have been financially independent. And over 30 years, that could have been a lot of money. And so then when the inevitable crash came, because of things he couldn't control, it wouldn't matter so much. And so the idea of using a captive insurance company to protect yourself, not only from clients, but also from the vicissitudes of your business, seems to me is a great idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. That's really um, very interesting content. But I want to shift the conversation a little bit to um, to the second segment, which is talking a little bit about your company and your business and strategic liquidity services of GV Financial. So tell us, like strategic liquidity services of GV Financial. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us what that, how that came to be. Sure. Well, several years ago, um, I had a business owner client who said to me, um, gosh, you know what? Um, I'm getting um, older and I want you to help me think about how am I going to turn this great business I have into cash? And so I said, uh, love to help you. And so he went through the process of the traditional process of hiring a um, investment banker, and we got together the team of lawyers, etc. And um, he spent about two years trying to sell his business. And the problem was is that he had one client who represented about fifty percent of his revenue, mm-hmm. and so essentially nobody wanted to touch that business with a ten-foot pole. So because the buyers thought that was just too much risk, and I thought to myself, gosh. You know, this guy is taking a million dollars a year out of his business. Somebody's got to want it. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like a bad gig to me. So uh, we started exploring these different ideas. And in the end, um, we did an ESOP, which enabled him to essentially go to the bank and generate enough money so that he could retire and also allowed his employees to build wealth. And it was a beautiful thing with tremendous tax advantages. And... Um, so that said to me, gosh, there's other people out there who have the same problem. In fact, as I've learned, most people have this problem. 
And so that was the impetus for me to say, gosh, we need to create this service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Brian, when did, you, when did you join the team? So Mark and I have been working together for about nine years in, in kind of different capacities. But um, most recently, about three years ago, I started working with Mark on strategic liquidity and kind of shepherding clients through the process. Mm. And what does that look like? What does shepherding them through the process look like? So the first, the first thing we do is we sit down and we take an inventory of the client's life, um, their goals, their assets, and really get a good picture of what they want to do financially and what's going on with their business. Taking the time up front to really explore what's going on prevents us from going down a path to liquidity that might not fit their goals. Mm. So that, that initial process, there's a lot of data, data gathering that goes on up front. Mm-hmm. And then what happens after you've found out what their goals are so you can match them up with the right path? Well, then the next, the most important thing we do next is educating them on these different, different um, paths. We want our clients to be well-informed about all the different options they have. And we're, we're big on unlocking their wisdom about where they want to go. We we don't want to tell them what to do. We want to shepherd them through and make sure that they they are uh, participants in the process rather than just kind of along for the ride. Mm. And Mark, why did why did you invite Brian to be here with you this morning? Like, what what inspired you of the, all the folks that work with you that to bring Brian? Right. Um, well, speaking of uh, passions in life and things that uh, inspire me, um, I love being a mentor. Um, and so I love mentors, I love being a mentor to really bright, ambitious people and conveying whatever wisdom I've been fortunate enough to develop to those mentees. And Brian is an incredible student and a quick study, and he inspires me with the way he um, talks to clients, the way he inspires them. And it's a win for everybody, especially for the client. But I, um, I just every day, again, get inspired by, um, by his example. Great. Thank you. That's a humbling, humbling to hear that. <laughs> yeah. And, and Brian, it's, it's, it's interesting because as you, as I'm sure you've seen Mark's successorship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to pass on your vision to uh, others who will be able to pull it forward um, is a perennial challenge for CEOs. Yes. And so as you, you know, look at Brian as, uh, as somebody who might be the one who's going to move the, move the ball forward, what are some of the, the things that you, you look for, whether or not you've thought of it consciously, but what, what is it that you're really looking for as you, as, you, as you were choosing somebody or one of the people who would help you bring the strategic liquidity services vision to life? Well, I think that um, probably number one is uh, commitment to clients, this idea that you have to really be an advocate and feel that very deeply. Um, and so... Um, as opposed to um, a more, uh, more focused um, career agenda that may not be as aligned with that idea. So um, for anybody that I'd want to mentor, I'd, I'd want to feel that that is something that um, they focus on, that they share that um, idea with that, that I have and that we have at GV. Um, secondly, they have to be really smart because these ideas are, um, are complex, especially the interaction between them. Um, so... Brian is, um, is an MBA, among his other many distinctions. <laughs> so I think the ability to handle this level of complexity is um, something that I really look for. 
And as I think about not just uh, people on my team, but successors, or I would say this to any CPA, you got to have somebody who's you know, pretty bright. And thirdly, that three <laughs> is, uh, is uh, loyal. And so the, the loyalty, again, to the clients, but also to our, to our team um, is something that's very important to me and should be to every uh, CEO. Mm-hmm. And, and Brian, as you look at, you know, have, being the, the steward of this huge vision that I know Mark has for strate- strategic liquidity services, what do you think about when, when you think about being, you know, a successor or a steward of, of, of Mark's vision? Do you, what, what's your philosophy around that? Well, I feel really, really fortunate that I've, I've, you know, built my career at GV Financial um, and have these, these tremendous mentors. So I, I, I'm very thankful on, on a regular basis that I, I realized I've had this tremendous opportunity. Um, as, I, as I think about strategic liquidity and building out this, this service and this program, it's, it's just been, it's a tremendous learning experience and it's been a really it's been neat to build out a service that you just see such a need for in the market and then have that service come to the market and actually taking clients through it and seeing the kind of the fruits of our labor and really making a difference and possibly changing the direction that some of these business owners were going to to take their retirements so it's been it's it's a really rewarding process to to see this come from you know Mark's vision and then helping him take it to market and seeing seeing it uh be successful so mm-hmm. so it's been a very rewarding experience do you have a story of a favorite favorite uh client that you've worked on that you want to share with us um yeah um mark i'll, I'll kick that one over to you <laughs> okay well um there's um there's there's so many but i i think that um the one that i mentioned at the outset this idea where uh, someone really wasn't fit for the M&A process and ended up uh, doing an ESOP. And the reason that I feel so good about that one is, and I guess it's sort of like your first girlfriend, you know, you, <laughs> <laughs> right? Where you, you clearly saw the problem and you thought, gosh, uh, maybe I have an original idea that can really help this person. And so um, this idea that this person feels so good, number one, that they're giving their employees the chance to build wealth where they never would have any opportunity to build any wealth, that they're going to literally be able to own a piece of a company someday. Um, that felt so good to that person. and feels so good to me to be part of that. And then at the same time, um, giving our client the opportunity to, um, who, to uh, avoid the curveball that was thrown at him when he found out his company really couldn't be sold in the traditional way, but then on his timetable to uh, exit the business in a way that he felt really good about and allowed him, very importantly, to continue to go to work every day and enjoy the parts of the business that he liked doing as opposed to the types or the elements of the business that he didn't. So he was able to create the life that he wanted to live. And that, at the end of the day, both for GV and for for, um, SLS, that's what we're in business to do, to help people create the life that they want to live and then um, walk beside them really for the rest of their lives and to be able to um, make sure that happens. And that's different than the transactional world where um, the M&A lawyers, with all due respect to my brothers in the M&A world and the other folks involved in the transaction, it's sort of do the transaction and move on to the next one. And so the ability to have that vision that uh, I am there, we are there, when the transaction happens and the smoke clears, 
we have to have this idea in mind all the time. What's good for the client down the road, years later? And that can really influence your choice of how you advise the client. And so we think that's kind of a unique perspective in the liquidity business, if you will, because we're going to live with the client for a long time. Mm. How do you work with the rest of the deal team? Uh, okay. Um, so the way we work is one of two ways. Um, sometimes we get involved in the back end uh, when someone says, gosh, you know, I experienced this ESOP idea and, uh, and so um, the referral comes after the ESOP um, candidate had already gone to the ESOP lawyer and he comes to us for maximizing the tax benefits of the ESOP transaction. But I would say that is probably 25% of the time. Um, more likely is we get referred to someone who says, gosh, I don't know what to do. I've got this profitable business. And someone said, this guy will explain all your options to you. And so that's usually how it starts. So the process looks something like this. Um, we start by doing something that's pretty unusual. Um, we start with a couple of analytical tools. Number one being, what's your tolerance for complexity? So lots of problems can be avoided if advisors just said, hey, I've got this whiz-bang idea, but maybe my client's just not right for it, even if that's the way I make my living. And so um, if, for example, we'll just use the, the captive insurance company, it can be a pretty complex bear, but a lot of people just cannot deal with all the different forms and all the different uh, lawyers that are involved and the um, various regulatory requirements. So the very first thing we do is we give people a simple questionnaire relative to how much tolerance they have for complexity. Complexity meaning long meetings, long documents, um, uh, lots of tax forms, this, that. So we have people rate themselves on a one to five scale. Then we ask them about um, their tolerance for strategy risk is what we call it. Meaning, gosh, some of these ideas might be a little bit uh, gray in terms of the IRS. Um, and so some people can tolerate that, some people can't. So we ask them um, how would they feel if they were audited, how would they feel this, that. So the point being that we really want to get a rounded picture of um, how they feel about different proactive ideas, both in terms of how it affects their daily life and what kind of tolerance they have for um, for the complexity around taxes in terms of audit risk and the like. So um, that's kind of how it starts. Um, and then the next level is what is the life that you want to live? And so we have this whole um, questioning process about, gosh, what does that life look like? And our favorite question to start is, if we were sitting here three years from today, what would have to happen over these three years for you to feel great about the progress you've made in your life? And we get a lot of great answers and get a lot of great clues as to which path would be good for them. Um, so that's kind of how it starts. There's a lot more to tell about the process, but that's high level. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was talking about the deal team, so I just want to revisit the question. I guess my, oh. my question was more about the lawyers, the accountants, the investment bankers. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. How, how, how do you interact with them? Great. Um, so, uh, sorry, I got enraptured with my own, uh, <laughs> own client experience, but that was, in fact, the question. My apologies. Um, the way that we interact with them was we go through that initial process, and that's really where I was heading. Yeah. And um, then once we identify what the different two or three paths that we're going to take our clients down or one path or what have you, um, then we go to meet with the lawyer, let's say, is typically the next port of contact. And we've done a pretty good job of whiteboarding the idea before we get to the lawyer. And so 
um, the client is now ready. It saves a tremendous amount of time because the client has clarity about the big picture of what the um, technique looks like and what it means to them in their life. And so now the lawyer basically fine-tunes the idea, customizes the idea, um, talks about the different risks that we may not be aware of, etc. So by the time they've gone from us to the lawyer, let's say, or to the accountant or to whoever other professionals involved, um, they know what they're getting into. And they feel like that they have surveyed the, the gamut of the different ideas and they feel very comfortable. And the lawyers like it because um, they feel like, wow, this is an educated consumer and they don't waste time. Um, they're able to themselves run a profitable business because they don't go around chasing their tail around and around with the client. Mm. And so um, then when we get to implementation, lots of times we have to move money around. We have to make sure things are signed. Um, we have to communicate with the other uh, deal team, the CPAs. We get them involved early and often. Um, we make sure we meet with all family members, including um, husband, wife, uh, key employees, whoever's involved. And so it's not just a, um, a uh, transaction, bring, uh, drive off, drop off the client at school, so to speak, with a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> we make sure that the entire gamut of human beings involved um, go through the process together. And it just makes everybody's life easier. And I will say that uh, the most common reaction I get from the um, other professionals are, man, this would have not happened without you. And that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. So, Brian, tell me a little bit about what you think the future of strategic liquidity services is. Where do, where do you see the, the practice going? Well, I've been, been really excited about where it has been going. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to see it, it get out there into the market, like to more business owners to hear about it, hear our message, hear GV Financial's message, and take more clients through the process would be um, where I'd like to see it go. Um, of course, I'd like to, to make connections with, with more professionals in the, the M&A space and really expand that network and just, just get our message out there. So who would be your key points of contact? Who, who in the space would, would you, are, are the people that you'd want to speak with? We're looking to connect with, with privately held businesses with um, earnings of about a million dollars a year. These, the, at that level, you're, you're, you become a candidate for a lot of these paths. Mm -hmm. So in private business owners, um, locally, internationally, nationally, um, in, in that, uh, that size. And a uh, million dollars in, in earnings, you mean EBITDA? EBITDA. Okay. So that's probably what I mean, a $10, $10 million business and above, depending? Uh, you know, generally speaking, yes. So okay. $10 million revenue business. You know, well run would likely generate that much. Yeah, <laughs> like the the well run being the caveat. That's funny, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, you know, I, I I know that it's a little bit maybe off script, but given that this is um our Thanksgiving week, uh, I'm going to ask you guys a little bit to share with us a little bit of what you're thankful for this year, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, that's very nice. Um, well, gosh, uh, on a personal level, we've had some health challenges in my family, mm -hmm. so um, I'm uh, amazed and gratified that um, we've come through those. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I'm grateful for uh, anybody else in my circle of friends and family that have gone through similar challenges and have made it um, through that. Um, I'm grateful on the business side from the um, for the healthy economy that we've had um, because. 
gosh, that's what makes uh, our <laughs> lives go. And so we've had a very healthy economy. Of course, it depends on what end of the economy you're on. That's not true for everybody, but I'm very grateful because in my lifetime, I've experienced times when it hasn't been um, as great. And um, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm grateful for my partners and their wisdom, grateful for uh, our employees and their wisdom, um, and grateful that, um, that, that everybody sort of sees our business as a little family. And it just feels very good that uh, you're validated by people sticking around. Mm-hmm. So I um, feel very happy about that, too. Thank you. What about you, Brian? Um, grateful for, um, we have a new baby in the house. Oh, wow. So she's, uh, five months old. So it's, it's been a blessing and, uh, great. Is your first baby? It's our second. We okay. have a three-year-old and, uh, a five-month-old little girls. So very grateful for that. Grateful for family. Grateful for the travel we have coming up. Grateful for, um, everyone at GV Financial and, uh, all the opportunities we've had there. So, um. It's uh, it's been a great year, and and reflecting on things we're grateful for is a is a big part of our business. And it's, I'm I'm glad you asked that question. It's funny, I, Brian. I uh, I have been you know stalking GV for a, a long time. I very much admire uh, admire Mark and and David and what you've done in terms of taking, um, you know, ontological forgive me, spiritual, however you want to talk at principles sure. and applying them effectively in, in the world of money. Because um, I don't see a lot of people being effective in the intersection, right? Like you have pe- a lot of people who are woo-woo and very good at being woo-woo. Mm-hmm. And you have people who are good at money and great at being, you know, doing the money thing. It's very unusual to see people and companies be good in the intersection of those things. And so I would love it if you would just comment a little bit on that and how you find that experience and whether or not you came into GV um, knowing that they, it was that kind of company or if that's something that you discovered after working there. I discovered it as I, as I went through the interview process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's when you graduate from school with you know, your finance degree, you don't expect to go out and find a company that is really at the intersection of money and happiness. Um, so, so it was, it was kind of a surprise, but at the same time, it was really refreshing to, to meet with this, this group and Marx's family of employees that, um, that has done that intersection so well. Um, the, our mission, uh, of use, using, a, helping a client use their wealth to live the best life possible and live, leave a legacy of, about things they care about. It just numbers aside, you know, the finance math part aside, um, it's, it's been such a rewarding experience. Yeah. And Mark, I would love for you to, to, to talk about what gives you the courage to do that? Because I know that there could be, and you know, now your success is proven, right? But maybe before, um, when people were like, what is he talking about? All this woo-woo happiness stuff, you know, <laughs> what, what gives or gave you the courage to kind of go out and do things a little bit differently than, than some of your peers? Well, I have to give uh, my partner, David Geller, um, credit for that courage. Um, I guess when he started down this journey about nine years ago, um, I sort of looked at him and went, um, I think you're crazy. Yeah, so you uh, yeah. were one of the people who was like, what is this woo-woo stuff? <laughs> what is this woo-woo stuff? Um, well, pretty much because, um, look, uh, we live in a very money-centered society, right? Um, and what happens is, is that course, when you're uh, looking back in your life and you're 65, not that I've had this experience, but I've talked to many, many people, they look back and go, what was that about? You know, as I was stressed out 
every day about the market on a day-to-day -day basis or blah, blah. They realized that was mostly, um, mostly nonsense and I really wasted a lot of time and I could have used my time much more effectively, right, in terms of building the life that I want. And, and by the way, um, something that we've discovered um, relatively recently, whether we really focused on now, in addition to using the money to live the life you want, is the impact that emotions can make on your decision making, how they can. So we are, um, as part B of this, really focus on um, all the biases that people come to the table with that really interferes with their decision making. And so understanding um, really kind of what's behind when people are saying X, what they, what's really going on. And if you can really get to the what's going on part, um, then you can really help them make decisions that are not just driven by whatever the emotion that's carrying them away, but instead can help them direct them in place where they'll be much more um, satisfied with the outcome. And that's especially true with life events, right? Mm -hmm. There's some big thing that's happening. They're selling their business or, or they're getting an inheritance or their parents are ill or just any number of life events. Um, when you're under stress, you're going to make a bad decision unless you can really figure out what's behind uh, the, that decision-making process for someone. So um, that's been very rewarding to have people say, step back. Why are you doing it this way? Where's that coming from? Redirecting people to a place where they uh, can go, gosh, that totally makes sense. And I'm glad you advised me in that way. Mm -hmm. So I'll weigh in here um, briefly on what it is that I'm thankful for. So Mark, you, we may have had this conversation at some point, but I really want to thank you. And I'm absolutely delighted that, you know, we're doing this show on the, the eve of Thanksgiving um, Eve is uh, you were one of the people who very early on in the life of my business um, kind of saw the value and, you know, gave me kind of my big break. Um, one of my larger early clients. And uh, I just really want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for being a supporter of me kind of all along the way. Um, we've known each other for a number of years. And um, I'm very grateful to have you um, as uh, a colleague and a friend and now um, somebody on my show. And um, I really get the commitment to mentoring and supporting um, people who are coming up behind you. And I think that I can see it and I've experienced it that it's not lip service. And I want to personally thank you for that. It's very nice. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to see you uh, advance and succeed in your career. It's really quite amazing. And so congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, so next segment of the show is just what's happening at GV Financial that you think CEOs need to know about? Mm, um, okay. Um, well, I would say that... Um, that this whole conversation we're having this morning about uh, strategic liquidity services is um, a um, tale that I think that many C CFOs, excuse me, CEOs would um, do well to, to pay a little attention to. And, and what I mean by that is this idea of, gosh, what's, what does the marketplace want? What does the marketplace need, right? Any business that doesn't grow and change will ultimately die. And so... Um, for us, this, this idea of, gosh, what does the marketplace really need and what, how can we be of most benefit to our clients? That's where this idea of the stress management, this um, what we call behavioral finance, this idea of strategic liquidity, how to think about different ways that we can help people. Just basically, how do we um, proactively kind of reinvent approach to the marketplace? So I think that 
um, that's so critical because otherwise your business will become a commodity, whether it's a product-based business or service-based business. And so um, any profitable business will eventually become commoditized. And so how do you constantly expand uh, the services you offer and change? So grow and change in response to the marketplace is something that we all need to be very sensitive to. So um, we're already thinking about what's the next generation of services that, that people really need. Um, and so that would be my message to any CEO. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for a wonderful show. If uh, people want to get in touch with you to find out more about what they've heard, uh, how can they do that? Well, uh, in terms of contact information? Yes. All right. Well, um, Brian and I can both be reached at, Brian? gvfinancial.com. Great. Uh, or brian.fry at gvfinancial.com. Very, very good. And mark.lewin at gvfinancial.com. Awesome. That thank be, you, guys. That would be L-E-W-Y-N. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for a great show. Great. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.